Our Father, we are thankful for the fact that you um, sent your Son and that he did a tremendous work. He came and he uh, was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died in our place. With his uh, blood, he paid for our sins. He was buried, he rose on the third day. He ascended, he's at the right hand of the Father, and one day he'll return. And all of this nonsense will be put straight. That helps us. We also thank you that it, it says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're living in a world where everything is changing. Everything is being turned upside down. But Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And the truth is the same. And salvation is the same. And the gospel is the same. Your word is the same. There's all this flux, there's all this variation. And quite frankly, we look at it and um, in amazement and, and we shake our heads. But we thank you for the firm foundation that is ours in Christ. Never before, and I think this is a safe statement, never before in, in this nation, and I, th I, I, think, I think this is safe to say, never before has there been more of a need for your men to be the men you want them to be. Because there is such confusion. There is such distortion of what is right and true and good. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ. Now, we're, we're not all here Bible scholars. A lot of us, we get a little intimidated at times because some of us are wives. They know more of the Bible than we do. They're, um, they're in a lot of different Bible studies, and that's not true of every wife, but that's true of a lot of guys in here. And uh, sometimes that's a little, uh, well, it's intimidating because, you know, we don't know as much Scripture. We can't bring it to mind as quickly. But you said this, Lord, you said John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. We may not have the whole Bible memorized and stored in our brain. Uh, if, if we have scripture, that is a great thing in our minds. It's a wonderful thing. But you warned us not to just be hearers of the word. 
You want us to be doers. You want us to follow you. And as the heat gets turned up in this nation, what's going to happen is those who follow you are going to get more and more flack, and they're going to become more and more unpopular, and there's going to be more and more pressure to compromise. There's going to be a price to pay. And quite frankly, that's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Uh, that, that'll come at the end of the age, but when the pressure comes, the synthetic believers and the counterfeit believers start dropping like flies. Uh, persecution purifies the church, and none of us want it. But it's here, and it's only going to increase. So our prayer is that you would help us to follow you and keep our eyes on you and fear you more than we fear men. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is clean. These are temporary, we, we live on this earth for a short time and then we're out of here. And then we're in eternity forever. This is momentary light affliction. Uh, my prayer would be, as things continue to heat up, as things get worse and worse. We wish that wasn't the case, but it is the case and it's reality, so we have to deal with it. But as things get worse and worse, um, Enable us as husbands and fathers to follow you. Not follow the crowd. Not give in to the pressure. You said broad is the road that leads to destruction. But narrow is the gate that leads to life and fewer those who find it. Give us the courage to follow you, and you'll walk us through the narrow gate. And we will carve a path for our family, for our kids, for our grandkids. We will, um, we will cut a trail, and they can follow us as we follow you. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been doing this study on men, marriage, family. And uh, every week, it just gets more and more interesting. Because every week, the assault just continues, and the uh, deterioration continues to happen. The demolition of the foundations continue. Uh, the, it seems like every week, I start off by quoting... Psalm 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Uh, if the foundations are destroyed, where is the security for the righteous? The, the security is in the Lord. Um, we should not be surprised at what's going on. In Matthew 24, Jesus talked about how things are going to get worse and worse. Uh, none of us want to hear that. 
But Jesus said, hey, when you start seeing this and you start seeing this and you start seeing this, uh, put your head in the ball game and know what's going on here. And, and this, this is just where we are, you see? So, we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be up all night, you know, biting our fingernails. Um, the Lord's got it covered. It's under control. Uh, I mean, it really is under control. I, I always go back to the sovereignty of God. If you're weak on the sovereignty of God, you're going to be a nervous wreck. You're going to have no peace in your heart. All this nonsense going on, all it's going to do is create no turmoil. You're going to be, you're, you're, you're going to be uh, tormented. You're going to be worried sick about your kids, about your grandkids. Uh, because it keeps coming and it's picking up steam every week. Uh, I, I was reminded this week of Proverbs 24, 24. Um, just a little nugget in Proverbs. There's a lot of little nuggets in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 24, 24 uh, speaks to the pressure of going along with the crowd. Remember high school? You remember junior high school? How strong peer pressure was? You wanted, you wanted everybody to like you. You wanted to be in. You wanted to be cool. And there was the cool group, and there was the uncool group. I remember we moved in the middle of my, uh, what was it, seventh grade. We moved from one school, and I knew everybody, and uh, the coaches knew me. And, I mean, I, hey man, I was in. I mean, I'd been in that school system since kindergarten. And, uh, and then we moved four or 500 miles away, and they didn't know me from Adam. And suddenly I was out, and I couldn't get a hearing. I was the greatest seventh grade basketball player in Northern California, and they didn't know that. <laughs> I mean, they just did not know. They weren't even open to it. I remember I went to, they had tryouts. And they put up the chairs on the gym floor, and you dribble down with your right hand, and you come back with your left hand. And the guy cut me. He goes, thanks, you're out. I said, let me show you something. Get out of here. He didn't care. It's fun being in. It's no fun being out. And sometimes the pressure is so great in high school. You know, we all think about our kids when they're going through those years. And what we try to do, what we try to do as parents is help our kids deal with peer pressure because it's unbelievable pressure. Unbelievable pressure. We're going to talk about being fathers tonight. Um, it, it's interesting because somehow we get through junior high, middle school. Sometime, somehow we all get through high school, don't we? But have you noticed that peer pressure doesn't stop when you get out of high school? There's always peer pressure. I don't care where you are in your life, and I don't care what your age is, there's peer pressure in your life, and the peer pressure is always to go the wrong way. Because, as Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Most guys are on the wrong road going down the wrong path. That's true in high school. That's true in college. It's true when you get out of school. It's true when you take your first job. Most of them are on the wrong road wrong path, go in the wrong direction, and they want you to come with them, and if you don't, you get ostracized, and you get ridiculed, and you get made fun of. Get used to it. 
your whole life. It's going to be that way. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that I I, I mean we just it's it's getting worse and worse, and all this nonsense that's going on, you got to sign off on it. Proverbs twenty four twenty four says this: He who says to the wicked, "You are righteous," peoples will curse him, nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. That's interesting. Because, <laughs> see, we live in a day, here's what's going on with us. We take what's bad, and we call it good. And we take what's good, and we call it bad. So if you're on ESPN and you bring in the truth of the Word of God and what God says about sexual behavior, whether it's homosexual behavior or heterosexual adultery, if you bring that perspective in, first of all, most guys wouldn't have the guts to do it because the heat and the pressure is so overwhelming. And if you do it, you better strap it on. You see? These are the times in which we live. Because what, see, what, what that, that was all about is that they wanted him to say, this is righteous. We not only accept this, we approve of it. This is where we are. I had a word from the Lord last night. And he's coming back tonight at midnight. And we won't have to deal with this anymore. I, I wasn't going to share that. I just thought I'd go ahead, though. Just to encourage you. If you can just hold out another five hours, it's going to be okay. Well, you know that didn't happen. How long are we going to be in this? Who knows? But Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Well, how do I endure? Well... He's got his hand on me. Number one, he's not going to let me go. You just stay close to him. You stay, stay close to other believers that love the Lord. You see? So, man, things might really, they might really uh, get hot. Yeah, they might. Probably will. Man, there could even be persecution. Yeah. I mean, the way things are going, would you be surprised to see Christians in jail before long? I mean, honestly. I wouldn't. I mean, that, that's unthinkable to have said that 10 years ago. But my gosh, at the rate it's going, why would that surprise us? You see? Once again, I'm just here to encourage you tonight. I'm just here to give you a hope and a future give you that prosperity theology. Go, you know, you're going to buy another three boats, you're going to get four more houses, everything's going to be good. Yeah. Jesus said in the world you'll have trouble. Yeah. Here's what's interesting. We've been looking at these foundational principles that are all under attack. All of them are under attack. The four creation ordinances that we've been studying as we've been doing this 
study on men, marriage, family, whatever the heck we're calling it. Um, all of these foundational principles are under attack. The four creation ordinances that you find in Genesis, Genesis is under attack. It's been under attack for 200 years. Well, you sure as heck don't believe what's in Genesis. You don't take, that's, you don't take that literally. Well, how else are you gonna take it? Well, it's, it's obviously myth. It's not obviously myth, because Jesus referred to it as historical fact. Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two. Now, if you've been here, I repeat myself every week on this stuff. But, but it's, it's good to get this, it's, it's, uh, what's the old phrase? Repetition is the mother of learning. When they would ask Jesus certain questions, like in Matthew 19, they asked him about divorce, and he said, have you not read that he created them, male and female? He goes back to Genesis 127 and 128. And then he quotes Genesis 2.24. You see? Jesus went back to Genesis. He didn't view it as myth, he viewed it as historical fact. And the reason he viewed it as historical fact is that he was an eyewitness who was there. Jesus is the God-man. All things were created through him. Look at the book of Hebrews. Look at chapter 1 of Hebrews. Hebrews, actually, Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. So the question comes up, I mean, you, you, I mean, you really, you, you take Genesis, you believe, I mean, that has authority, you think it's historical fact? Genesis 1, uh, Genesis, Hebrews 1, 1. God, after he spoke, <coughs> excuse me, long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Now that's either true or it isn't. Go to John 1. And, and, and we've talked about this in this study. Well, I'm very comfortable with the words of Jesus, but I have big problems with Genesis. I mean, after all, I mean, you know, we're educated people. We're modern people. I mean, come on, Adam and Eve, a garden? Come on, a serpent in the garden who talked to the woman. Well, later on, you got an ass talking to an ass. <laughs> Balaam. Who was the real ass there? You got to ask. God can do anything he wants to do. Can he not? Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. I find it interesting that people who tend to accept the miracle, I'm talking about evangelical Christians, who tend to accept the miracles that Jesus did. He took the loaves and the fishes and he, and he fed 5,000. He did, he did that thing twice. He spoke to the wind and the sea and he, there was immediate calm. He calmed the storms immediately. He said to the man with a withered hand, stretch forth your hand, and he was immediately healed. He said to the man in John 9, who was blind from birth, he healed the guy. But then they question Genesis 1. Well, what's fascinating is that throughout the scripture, Jesus is spoken of as the creator. 
I'm trying to get to John. I can't seem to find it tonight. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I'm warm. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You'll see in a minute, the word, logos, there is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. Watch this. All things came into being through Him. There it is again. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, how, how clear do you get? Now, the reason I bring this up uh, and, and go down to verse 10. He keeps, he keeps hitting this thing. Um, he was in the world, watch this, and the world was made through him. Well, I got a problem with Genesis. Why would you have a problem with Genesis? Well, you know, I got a PhD. Well, pin a rose on your nose. I've often said in Christian love, that there are more fools per square inch on a university campus than anywhere else in the world. And I'm not talking about the students. I'm talking about guys with PhDs who say that there is no God because Psalm 14, here's what God says about those who say there is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You go to Romans 1, 18 to the end of the chapter. Although they knew God, they refused to acknowledge him as God, but suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. I read something this week, just a little blurb. Someone said, it's interesting to me about atheists. There's two things about atheists. Number one, they say there is no God. Number two, they spend their whole lives being angry with him. I thought, that's brilliant. That's just flat out brilliant. If there's no God, why don't you chill out, man? Just relax. Who cares? What are you getting all revved up for? I mean, if he's not there, he's not there. Well, I mean, why don't you just go play some golf or something? Or, you know, have a cookout. Put on some fries. Do something. Well, what's all this anger and rage over? I mean, if he's not there, who cares? But see, he is there. And it's hard to keep suppressing the truth 24 hours a day. And everywhere you look, you see the truth. Okay. So we've been going to Genesis on all of these issues of, uh, of marriage, which is under attack, uh, of family, which is under attack, uh, you have the four creation ordinances. Uh, what's the first one that he gave to them in Genesis 1, 27, 1 and 28? Uh, male and female, he created them. He created them in the image of God. Both male and female are made in the image of God. Animals are not. Okay? That's why we do laboratory testing on animals and not on little babies. But if you don't have that worldview and you're all messed up and you think animals are as important as people, and Jesus said they're not, we take care of our animals but uh, they're not made in the image of God, so if you can do research on an animal to save the life of a baby, do it. Jesus said of the birds, are they not more important than you? Well, actually, they're, you know, they're not. They're equal. 
They're not equal, they're lower. They're not made in the image of God. But see, we've lost our minds. Uh, male and female, he created them in the image of God. <clears throat> he told the man and the woman to have children, that's the ordinance of procreation. The world says, you can't have kids, don't have kids, there are too many people on the earth. God can handle the people on the earth. Okay? That's not, that's not hard for him. You say, but there are people starving. If you go and look about where people are starving, usually there's graft and corruption, and there's Swiss bank accounts, and there's black markets. It's not that food isn't being shipped in and food isn't available. I'm just saying go study the facts. I'm not saying drought doesn't happen. I'm not saying famine doesn't happen. But we live in a world where incredible assistance is given, and it's always kind of interesting to see what happens to the assistance and to the money. Where the heck did it go? <clears throat> God says have kids. That's number one. Then he said work. That's also in Genesis 1.28. You, uh, you rule over the earth and you subdue it. I read in a biography one time with George Washington Carver. Brilliant, uh, former slave, brilliant man. One of the preeminent scientists in American history. Was able somehow to get a college education. This, guy, this man was a giant. And he got fascinated with the peanut and you know what he basically did? He basically rebuilt the economy of the South after the bull weevil came in and destroyed cotton in the South. Because he got fascinated with the peanut. And you know what George Washington Carver did with the peanut? He subdued it. He subdued the peanut and he ruled over it. And he created hundreds of usages for peanuts. He created industries. He created an economy that brought so much benefit to men, women, and children because he worked hard and he subdued the peanut. And he did it to the glory of God. You see? A peanut. Who would have thought? There would be no Mr. Peanut without George Washington Carver. You, you, think of the, you think of the financial engine that came out of planters. Peanuts. I, I mean, seriously, just stop and think about it. There's one man that thought there's more to the peanut than meets the eye. And he was right. He subdued the peanut, and look what happened. Uh, so there, there's the, uh, when he says subdue the earth, there's the ordinance of work. I mean, we got all kinds of able-bodied people that we're paying in this country not to work, and that violates a creation ordinance of God. That's not a political statement, that's a biblical statement. People are supposed to work. If you're disabled, if you've got a physical condition, that's a whole nother deal. We're talking about strong, able-bodied people that should be working, and they're not working, and somebody else is paying their freight. And that's not right. I read something this week. The guy said, if you want to teach your kid about taxes, the next time you give them ice cream, you eat 40% of it. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Dad, what are you doing? Well, those are my taxes on your ice cream. Well, that's my ice cream. Well, it's sort of yours. We, we have a collectivism here in this, uh, yeah. 
This all goes back to creation ordinances, guys. So you got to have kids, you have work, then you have the seventh day in Genesis 2, 1 and 2 and 3. You take a day off because you can't go 24-7. And then you get to Genesis 2:24, and you got marriage. And it's all being attacked. Uh, tonight, I want to kind of focus on the first creation ordinance, which is to have kids. Uh, how many of you guys are fathers? Can I see your hands? And then if you're a grandfather, let me see your hand if you can get it up. <laughs> Little grandpa joke there, don't get upset. How many of you, hey, I'm serious, how many of you guys have had rotator cuff issues in your life? <laughs> Raise your other hand. Okay, and you young guys, it's coming. Trust me. Y'all always, there's a rotator cuff club, club, and there's no membership card, but there's a sign, there's a secret sign. And you'll see a guy in a plane going like this. Or you'll see a guy at the gym going. Or you'll see a guy who can't, that's the rotator club. club. It's coming to you, just wait. Terribly inconvenient. Uh, we get older and we get miles on the tires. If you're a father, it's one of the great blessings of life. Uh, Genesis, now, what does our culture tell us? Oh, you don't want to have kids. Kids are an inconvenience. I'll tell you what, you have kids and uh, it'll mess up your life. Because you see, kids take a lot of time and they take a lot of work and kids take a, they take a heck of a lot of money. Years ago, we had a couple, a young couple that moved in next door to us. And, you know, they've been married maybe a year, and they had recently graduated from college, and they were both CPAs. And we talked with met them, you know, they're Christians, and they go to church down here. They're a nice little Christian couple. And we're just kind of watching them. And they're both CPAs, and they get jobs as firms downtown. And they're doing pretty well. You know, mid-20s, they're, they're raking in some cash. And they're fixing up the house, and they, you know, the new cars, and they're, they're living, you know, they're going this weekend here, and they're going there, and they, I mean, they're, 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 they're having a nice life. And I'm just watching them. She gets pregnant. I thought, ah, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so they get, she gets pregnant. And, you know, it's wonderful, everybody's excited, and, um, one day Mary was out in the yard or something, and she invited Mary over, and, Mary told me about it later and said, oh, okay, come on, I want to show you the baby's room. And Mary walked in there, and it was like the baby's room. It was like something out of a magazine. It just was, it was perfect. Every, I mean, it was just perfect. Everything was in its place. Everything was color-coordinated. The curtain rods matched the, um, the, the wipies. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, everything just... <laughs> Bed and bath and beyond, and hey, Ralph Lauren, and hey, okay, it was great. Everything's wonderful, beautiful. It's a wonderful life. And everything was perfect. And Mary's oohing and on, you know. Oh, and she just had her baby, and she's got her baby, and you know, and uh, she had time off from work. And they're talking, I don't know, in 15, 20 minutes. And then at one point, the gal said, Oh, Mary, I need to ask you a question. Do you know anyone who can care for my child? That was fascinating to me. You're going to have a baby, and everything was planned and thought through except 
the most important thing. Who's going to care for this child? That fascinates me. That's your baby. There is a husband, there is a wife, now there's a father and a mother. Who's going to care for that baby? Uh, here's an idea. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't want to be, uh, <laughs> don't want to be offensive here. Maybe, uh, maybe you guys ought to care for that baby. Let's see what had happened is they got used to the good life at a certain level. So you get used to two salaries when you're 25, that's kind of hard to adjust down, don't you think? I mean, that's real hard. I'll tell you what else is hard. I don't see my clock anywhere. <laughs> I just realized I don't know where my clock is. And I have no reference point. This is what America's coming to. <laughs> they, have outlawed, they have outlawed time because time is absolute. I knew this was going to happen one day. So don't blame me, blame the culture. I can't read that from here. Some guy's holding up a, uh, a clock. Thanks, I appreciate that. It's, just text that to me, will you? In braille, because I can't see that. But thanks. Um, all right, I'll, I'll rough this out. Um, uh, that was fascinating to me. Here's a father, here's a new father and a new mother, and everything was squared, everything was, and, and then the question was, oh gosh, dadgummit, who's going to care for this baby? Hmm. Children need a father and a mother. That's what's so tragic about what has occurred in our nation. It's, it's really tragic. Nothing good comes out of divorce. And you know that, and I know it. Some of you have experienced divorce. Everybody, everybody gets hurt in divorce. Uh, some of you, your parents divorced. And you're, I mean, you know, you, you still deal with stuff. Uh, I think it was Judith Wallenberg who has done the studies of people who are now in their 60s, but when they were, you know, in elementary school, junior high, their parents divorced, she's tracked them over the years. They're still dealing with issues. Divorce is just incredibly hard on everybody. Why? Because God intended marriage to be permanent. For this cause a man, Genesis 2.24, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, man must not sever. That, that two becoming one, they are to cling, they are to adhere. And in, in one of our studies, we talked about marriage and what happened to marriage. And we had, uh, for uh, civilization, basically, uh, marriage was important and you didn't miss with marriage. Divorce was rare until we started doing the no-fault divorce in the 60s and 70s. And how many people have been hurt? And then how many kids have grown up with just one parent? That put, we, we, we see single moms raising kids by themselves, and single moms are exhausted and they're worn out. And many of them are working hard and doing the best they can do, 
Well, God bless them and we honor them. But you see, it's a job that wasn't designed for one person. It's a two-person job. You need a father and you need a mother. That's what you need. Every family needs two things. This is Family 101. When you take a look at the family and you take a step back, every family needs, this is real simple. It's so simple we miss it. Every family needs provision, right? Food, clothing, shelter. The primary responsibility for provision was put upon the man. You say, how do you know that? Well, if you look in Genesis 3, when they sinned and they were cursed, God cursed the man and the woman in their area of primary responsibility. Turn with me to Genesis 3. See, this is all in Genesis. And we're told you can't believe Genesis. Actually, you can. And the reason we go to Genesis, <laughs> Jesus was in Genesis. The events in Genesis were the work of Christ and the Father and the Spirit. You see, if you want to know about marriage, go to the beginning. If you want to know about being a husband and a father, go back to the beginning. If you want to know about being a wife and a mom, go back to the beginning. This stuff all started somewhere. And where it started was Genesis. Okay. So Genesis 3, now you've got sin in the world because they listened to the serpent and the serpent says, this is what he always does. He tempts her. And in 3.2, the woman said to the serpent, well, from the fruit of the tree we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it. And then she says, or touch it. Uh, he didn't say touch it. He said, don't eat from it. She wasn't listening real carefully. Or, or you will die. All right, that was the point. She got that. Don't eat from this tree or you will die. Now watch what the enemy says. You will not die. What the enemy always does is he casts dispersion on the veracity of what God says. Well, God says we'll die. You won't die. He's not telling you the truth. The enemy always attacks the truthfulness of the word of God and says it's not true. And he did it from day one. And he continues to do it. You can't believe Genesis. It's not true. Jesus said it was true. I'm going with Jesus. That's who I'm going with. He made it. Okay. So, you have the curses because of their sin. If you look at verse 16... To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. That's interesting. Remember, every family needs two things? Yeah, but you only gave one of us, Steve. You only gave, one, gave us one. Okay, well, let's, let me give you two. Every family needs two things. Number one, they need provision. Number two, they need care. Does that make sense? I mean, somebody help me here. Amen. Am I missing some? You need food, clothing, shelter. And then you need care. Those babies need to be nursed. Those babies need to be rocked. Those babies need... And, and little babies like soft, and they like warmth, 
They don't like breasts with hairs all over them. <laughs> they don't produce milk. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just telling you. Only the woman can do that. And she was cursed in her area of primary responsibility, which is what? Care and nurture. Look at the guy, verse 17. Then Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat from it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. Uh, he was going to work the ground before, but there, there were no weeds. No, we're going to be now. There were no thorns and thistles. Gosh, dead gummit. The roses didn't have thorns. But now they do. Now you've got to bust your tail to work. He was cursed in provision. She was cursed in nurturing. Okay. Since we're men and many of us are fathers, and many of us are grandfathers, and um, some of you guys are single and you're not married, but you probably will be married and you'll have kids. And by the way, I have kids. Kids are great. Kids are great because I'll tell you what, they grow you up. Kids will turn you into a man, a mature man. Because those little suckers are born and they have no interest in serving you. So somebody's going to have to become a servant. And Jesus said, if, you must, if you're going to become great, you must become the servant of all. You see? So it's good for a man to change diapers. It's not fun for a man, but it's good for a man. And you change those diapers, and that little guy will pee right in your face. And he knows what he's doing. He knows, and he knows that you can't do a thing about it. I know guys do extraordinary exploits. I've met guys that have climbed Mount Everest without oxygen. I've met guys that have, have swam underwater from San Francisco to Honolulu <laughs> without oxygen. Those are amazing feats, but I'm gonna tell you something. I don't think you're a real man until you can change a number two diaper without gagging and throwing up. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? That's I mean that's that's nasty stuff. Is it not? Let me tell you something. That'll grow you up in a hurry, and that's just round one. You're going to have to learn to be a servant because you got that little kid, and that little kid's counting on you and is dependent on you. Now it's interesting. You have kids. And like all of life, we go through stages of fathering. Um, God is very concerned about fathering. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I think... Um, I think a case could be made that the most important work you do is fathering, other than being a husband. The, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is to love their mother. 
because that gives them security. Um, for some reason, I have this snapshot of, of, it was Josh, he's my youngest, and he was just a little guy, and Mary and I were having a discussion in the kitchen that got a little intense, and, uh, and then we both felt strongly about our respective positions, and, and it's just us, we're just kind of going back and forth, and suddenly a little head pops around the corner, and he's looking. And he's watching it, his eyes are real big. And uh, he looked and I said, it's all right, Josh. He goes, what's going on, Dad? I said, well, Mom and I are just having, uh, we're just talking. He said, it's kind of loud, Dad. <laughs> I said, I know. I said, I know, we're going to work it out. Your mom's wrong about something, we're going to fix it. <laughs> I didn't say that. You don't ever say that. I mean, she was wrong, but I wasn't going to tell him. <laughs> you don't say that. I said, hey, Mommy and I are just, you know, you know how you and John sometimes and Rachel, we got to just work, we're just going to work it out. He said, okay, Dad. And then he didn't go. He didn't leave. He just came over and he stood by us. And he was really concerned. He had this real look of concern on his face. And I said, and Mary said, it's all right, Josh. And he goes, are you guys going to get a divorce? Boy, that changed the dynamic, didn't it? And we both knelt down, because he was real little, and we just both knelt down and put our arm around him and said, no, Josh, we're not going to get a divorce. No, we're not going to do that. We'll, we'll work this out. This happens sometimes, doesn't it? We don't get along. But, we, but you know what we do? we got to work things out. And, and I'll tell you what, Josh, I, I don't, it sounds like I wasn't handling this real well, was I? Yeah. I don't think I was. Yeah, I probably got a little, I got, I got a little too wrapped up in this, Josh, so would you forgive me for that? And Mary, would you forgive me? You see, you gotta model it for these kids. I, I don't want my son wondering when he goes to bed if mommy and daddy are getting a divorce. I don't want that. Um, it's interesting being a father through, through the stages of life, is it not? Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. In Deuteronomy 6, God gives two things to fathers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm on tape delay tonight. That's what I just realized. Because I didn't have a lot of sleep. I was, so let's go to Deuteronomy 6. And this thought went through my head. Where is Deuteronomy? <laughs> so I went Genesis, Deuteronomy. Okay. I just am, guys. I'm just being honest with you. Um, let's read Deuteronomy 6. Okay? Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess. Let me stop right here. Here's the context. They're getting ready to go in to the promised land and take it. Okay? Now they had waited 
This is after a 40-year wait. They were supposed to have gone in 40 years before under Moses, but they didn't. By the way, the name of the book gives it away, Deuteronomy. Deutero, which means second, nomos, which means law. So Deuteronomos, Deuteronomy, is the book of the second law. You say, oh, I, I, don't, I didn't know there was a second law. Well, there isn't. Well, what's the second law stuff? Here's what's happening. They were supposed to have gone in. They came out of Egypt. They were supposed to have gone in to the promised land. Moses sent out spies in Numbers chapter 13. You remember that? God says, pick 12 men, each of them a leader, from each of the 12 tribes, send them in to spy out the land, and they went and spied out the land. It was filled with the Canaanites, the most powerful people on the face of the earth, the most technologically advanced people. Uh, they were prosperous, they were rich, they had fortified cities that you couldn't bust through the walls, they had iron chariots, and the Israelites had none of this stuff, but God says, that's your land, I promised it to Abraham, and I'm gonna give that land to you which they inhabit. And so they send the 12 spies, and the 12 spies come back and say it's an amazing land. In fact, they bring back a cluster of grapes. It takes two guys to hold the cluster of grapes. It's an amazing land. It's an incredible land, they say. But then 10 of the 12 spies say, but there are giants in the land. And there was a literal race of, of giants a very, very large people, Goliath-like people who lived in the land. And 10 of these leaders say to the people, there are giants in the land and we can't take those guys. We can't take them. Now what's fascinating about that is that if you just get a context, just a few weeks before that, they came through the Red Sea and they were trapped. They had mountains on two sides. They had the sea in front of them, they got Pharaoh's army behind them, and there's no escape, and what did God do? God, op you know the story, God opened up the sea, they passed through on dry land, God's in every detail, there was no mud, it was instantaneously dry, they all passed through, two million of them, men, women, and children, they got to the other side, Pharaoh's army, they come in, and then what happens? Kashunka. And God delivered them. And these guys, a few weeks later, are saying, there are giants in the land, and we can't take them. And all these guys were leaders. But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, God will fight for us. But the ten persuaded the majority. And they had a majority deal, and they all went with the... Let me tell you something. Be careful of going with the majority. Even in churches. A lot of churches, well, we've got congregational vote. Well, that ought to scare you to death. Well, that's the American way. Yeah, but this isn't American. Jesus is head of the church, and it's a benevolent dictatorship. And in the church of the living God, you know who's to lead the church? Mature, godly men with proven character, 1 Timothy 3. That's who is to lead the church. Read your Bible. Okay. 
By the way, that's who is to lead the family. The mature are to lead the family. Uh, I'm just giving you a context. So they're going in, after 40 years, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, now they're going to go into the land under Joshua. Here's the deal. When the 12 spies came back and gave the report, there were, there were little boys standing around who were four and five and six and seven years old. Okay? All right. Now those little boys are 44, 45, 46, and 47, and now they're the fathers. And what's happening in Deuteronomy, here's what's happening. This is where you get the book of the second law. God is repeating the original law for a second time to a new generation of leaders whose fathers refused to trust God. That's what Deuteronomy is all about. So, well, my dad wasn't a spiritual leader, and my grandpa wasn't, and I'm the first guy in my family. Great. I'm the first guy in my family to know Christ. Great. You're the guy that God's going to use to put a new link in the generational chain. Great. That's Deuteronomy. You don't have to repeat the, the heirs of your father or your grandpa or whatever's been in your family for a generation. You don't have to do that because of the power of the living God. You just, you're, you're not doomed to that. I, I, I sometimes talk to young men, and they're young, young Christian guys, and they're scared to death. I remember being at Biola University in California a number of years ago. And I ran into several guys, and they were petrified of being married because they were raised in Christian homes, but their fathers had gotten off course had gotten into affairs, had left the family, and they were afraid they were going to do the same thing because they were so attached emotionally to their fathers. But you were not your father. You were not doomed to repeat the mistakes of your father. You're not. Watch this now. Okay, so you got the context? They're going to go into the land, and here's what they're going to do. They're going to start a new civilization is what they're going to do. God's going to fight for them. They're going to drive out the ites. And he's going to give them houses they didn't build. He's going to give them orchards they didn't plant. He's going to give them crops they didn't plant. He's going to give them cisterns they didn't hewn, which gets the water. God's going to dump all this blessing on them. All right? Okay, here we go. This is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments. Those are the laws of the land. You had the moral law. You had the civil law. You had the ceremonial law. Okay? These, this is the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land, not know about them, but do them, in the land which you are going over to possess. Watch this. So that you and your son, here we go, and your grandson, might fear the Lord God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. When he says, O Israel, he's talking to the men. This passage is directed to the men. You and your son and your what? Grandson. God has called men to lead the church. God has called men to lead the family. That's God's ideal plan. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay. Hear, O Lord, 
Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You say, but I thought there were three persons. There are. So I, I don't get that. Join the club. The Lord is one. Yes, he is. The Father is God, Jesus is God, the Spirit is God. But the Father is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Spirit, and the, Jesus, uh, the Spirit is not God, is, is not the Father. It's a three in one. It's a great mystery. It's in the Bible. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. All right, now here we go. There are two things right here on fathering, because it was their job. It, what does he say? You're going to go in, you're going to start a new civilization, and I want you to adhere to what I have taught you so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord. I want you not only to, to do what I say, I want you to teach this. And I want you to live it out in your own life. And he puts it on the men. He's not talking to the ladies here. Okay. There are two things in fathering. Here's the first one. We are to love God deeply. Watch this. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with 90% of your heart, 80% of your soul, and 70% of your might. That's not what it says. Years ago, I'm going to a Dallas, I'm at a Dallas Stars hockey game. My neighbor, Rick Wilson, was a defensive coach. And Rick had a, a wonderful ministry in my life. He'd give me free tickets. So I'm at the Stars game, and my boys are there somewhere. They're running around. They're doing something. I don't know what they're doing. I'm really clued in to, to my son's. But we're having a good time. And it's the end of the first period, and I, and I jump out to go get some frozen yogurt. So I, I go up the stairs, and I'm going to the mezzanine, and there's that kiosk for the yogurt. And it's separate from the concession stands. Remember Reunion, how it used to be? So I'm headed. I'm making a beeline for that yogurt thing. And as I'm that going there, I see a guy walking right across my path. And I know this guy. I used to be in a Bible study with this guy. And I hadn't seen him in two or three years. And I see the guy, and I'll call him Fred, that's not his name. He goes, hey, Fred, how you doing? And he goes, hey, and he looks and he goes, <laughs> just like that. And he couldn't miss me, he couldn't avoid me, we were within 10 feet of each other. He goes, hey, Steve, how you doing? And he's really nervous. He was obviously very nervous, he was very uncomfortable. Steve, how you doing? Well, I'm good, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, yeah, I'm good, man, just doing really good. You still in that Bible study? Well, I haven't been there in a while, you know? I need to get back. Probably go this week, ask Matt. Maybe I'll go tonight. I mean, the guy's just, he's kind of freaked out. And he's like this. I mean, it's weird. It's just weird. I said, how's your dad doing? Oh, yeah, good, good. Everything's, yeah, really good. Great. Well, he was, I, you know, I, I'm, okay. I get it. I'll leave. Hey, good to see you. Well, he had one of those, you know, 48 ounces beers. I found him. I've never talked to that guy about beer. We've never had a discussion about alcohol for Christians. I never talked to him. I just was in a Bible study with him. He sees me and it... <laughs> why was he hiding that? Let me tell you why he was hiding that. He was hiding that not because of my conviction about alcohol. He was hiding that because of his conviction which he was violating. You get that? You see what I'm saying? Drunkenness is a sin. Romans 14 talks about, you know, some, some issues are matters of conscience, and some of you guys here are going to come up to me and tell me about the alcohol content. In the, okay, don't do that. Don't bug me. I've read all that stuff. Okay? Jesus turned the water into wine, and it was uh, a spritzer. 
don't, don't bother me, okay? Don't get all in a wad over this stuff. But they had alcohol in their water. They had alcohol. They drank wine all the time because the water was so lousy. You don't need to have a heart attack over this. Well, they might get drunk. Yeah, they can. You're not supposed to get drunk. Anyway, I never discussed this with this guy, but he's hiding this beer. Now, why is he hiding the beer? Because he's violating his own conviction. Let me tell you something. If you have a conviction and you're violating it, let me tell you what that guy was doing. You're going to confuse your kids. Am I making sense? You're going to confuse your kids if you have a conviction and you don't live up to it. You don't, if, it's, if it's an area that Scripture doesn't cover, Romans 14 says you should be convinced in your own mind. But don't put your conviction on an issue of conscience on somebody else. You leave each other alone. But you should live by your convictions. Okay? Daddy, how come you can watch R-rated movies and I can't? Oh, that's because I'm a hypocrite, son. And when you grow up, you can be just like me. How come you can watch naked ladies on that show and I can't? Oh, that's because I'm a hypocrite. What it ought to be is, what it ought to be is, I don't watch movies like that. Son, I don't watch movies like that. I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. Does that make sense? See, that's called integrity, and that's called congruency. When you find out all these regulations are coming down from Washington, and then you find out they have exempted themselves. You just want to trust them more, don't you? Watch this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. You just love God. You just love the Lord. Okay? Do you love him? Oh, yeah, but I sin all. I know, I know, I know you sin, I sin, we're all, we're all screwed up. But do you love him? Well, yeah, okay, keep loving him. And see, if you love him, you're going to love his word. See the next verse? These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. If you love God, you love his word, and you start getting into the word a little bit. You see? That's why you come to Bible study. You're studying the Bible. Because you're, you know, all of a sudden you get into this, and you go, this is kind of wild, yeah. And the more you get to know this, the more you get to love him the more you find out about it, and the more you love him, see? So when you love God, you start putting the, you start putting the word of God, which is on your heart, on your heart. Oh, I can't memorize scripture. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You take three post-it notes. I just went over this. You take three post-it notes. If a verse stands out, write them on three post-it notes, one on your desk, one in your mirror when you shave, one in your dash in your car. Just leave them there for a week. At the end of the week, you'll know the verse. Right? Because you looked at it 900 times. You're going to know the verse. Okay? All right. So the first step on being a father is to love God deeply. Here's the second step. And you put the word of God in your heart. Now watch this. Verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Watch this. Here's the second thing. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. Here's the two deals on fathering. Number one, you love God deeply, and you teach your children diligently. This says teach sons. Yeah, if you got sons, teach them. you got girls, teach them. you got kids, you teach them. That's the point. So you love God, and then you teach them. All right, what, what's, what's it say? 
These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by your way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Long time ago, I remember talking to some guy and he was telling me, yeah, you know, I got my kids and I get my kids up early and I'm teaching my kids Greek. We get up about five and I'm teaching them Greek. And we're going we're gonna to do New Testament exegesis. Well, pin a rose on your nose. I didn't say that. I thought, well, that's fine. Seems a little excessive. Um, now, that's fine, but this doesn't say that. Well, that's really spiritual, is it? Is it? I wonder how those kids will react to that later in life. I love God because God's so practical. I'll tell you what, I never got up at 5 a.m. with my kids and taught them Greek. I mean, we were trying to get them to learn English. <laughs> it is living life. Hey, God knows you have a job. God's real. So watch this. This is what I love about the Lord. He's so, he's so practical. What does he say? He says, hey, hey guys, hey, I want you to love me, and I want you to put my word in your heart. Okay? Let me just touch on that. And again, I know I'm repeating myself. I, I know I am. I, I live my life out of a red leather chair with a black leather Bible. I get up, I get my coffee, I get my Bible. If I don't do anything else, I'm reading my four chapters in my calendar that gets me through the Bible in a year. I'm going to read that. Because all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, both for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. You see? That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So I get in that chair, and God scans my heart. And if I need to be reproved and rebuked, he rebukes me. Sometimes I'll see a verse, and I need to know that verse, and so I, I'm going to mark that verse, and I'm going to do the, you know, the memorization thing, because I need to go back to that verse and be taught by that verse. But see, I'm, I'm meeting with the Lord. I meet with him first. Because I'm starting my day. I'm going to be lied to for the rest of the day, so I've got to start with truth. I meet with, I meet with the Lord, you see? And you say, well, I, I'm not a reader. Or I, you know, I, I, my schedule's different. It doesn't matter what you're Just find a time, find a place. The Lord will show up. Meet with him. Well, I'm not a reader. All right, you can get the Bible on anything. I mean, you can get an R2-D2. You can get it on an MP3. I don't even know what this stuff is. You can download it. You can upchuck it. You can, I don't even know the terms, guys. But there's some way you can get the Word of God. Well, I work out. Then listen to the Word of God. Listen to John 6 on the way to work. And when you work out, you, you probably can download a scripture in your right lower molar and project it on by Bluetooth to your right retina. I don't know what you can do, but it's out there. Somehow, get the Word of God and interact with it and put it in your heart. So you, God says, listen, I want you to love me, and I want you to love my Word. Okay, and then I want you to teach it diligently to your kids, and I want it to be on your heart. You don't have to get up at 5 in the morning and turn your house into a seminary. Here's what I want you to do. Look at this. He's so real, he's so practical. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and so talk of them, watch this, when you sit in your house. You guys ever sit in your house? You look like you're good at that. I sit in my house. I like sitting in my house. 
When you sit in your house. Uh, when you walk by the way. When you lie down. When you rise up. You don't have to get up at 5 in the morning and teach them Greek and Hebrew. and It's not Talmudic school. You just live life. You love the Lord, you put the Word of God in your heart, and you live life with Him. Can I tell you the most important word here in fathering? The most important word is with. With. If you work 100 hours a week, you're never sitting in your house. So you can't give everything you have at work. Because you got kids. Am I making sense? you got to provide, but that's not your whole life. That's part of your life. You, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. I sit in my house. Let me tell you what I do. And, and, and I spend some money on this. And I'll just tell you, I, I, I spend money on this on purpose. I get every college football game in America at my house. I buy that uh, package. And it's expensive. I buy it for a reason. I get every NFL game in the world at my house. I pay for the package, and let me tell you why, okay? John might call me, hey dad, yeah. Hey dad, did you know that Slippery Rock is playing Michigan Islamic this weekend? <laughs> no, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, they're playing as the NCAA uh, Division IV uh, uh, parochial school uh, playoff. Oh really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's on ESPN channel 179. Do you get that? I get everything, John, everything. Hey, can we come up? Yeah, come on up. Hey, can I bring uh, uh, Jason? Can I bring Ro Robbie? Yeah, bring them all. Can I bring Saddam Hussein? Bring him. I don't care who you bring. <laughs> bring them all. I think he's dead. We'll prop him up in a chair. Just bring him. <laughs> Why do I say that? Because they're grown up, and I, they're still my boys, and I want to be with. And they'll come up and watch football. So do they come up, and I trick them, and I say, oh, the TV won't work. Let's get out our Bibles. <laughs> No, we watch football. We're just living life. We're just hanging out. And at halftime, we'll get up and we'll go walk around and we'll throw the ball. And we're just messing around and eating guacamole. We're just with. We're just with. I just want to be with. And Rachel will come over and Court will come over, you know, and we're just with. We're just with. We're not having revival meetings. We're just with having a family. And every once in a while during halftime, someone will come up, hey, did you hear about that thing this week that this judge said you can give these pills to 15-year-old girls and the parents don't know about it? Yeah, I heard about that. Gosh, is that nuts or what? Yeah, it's kind of nuts. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're into something of substance and significance that's a lot more important than football. But if I'm never with, we never have the conversation. And you don't force it. You're just with. Am I making sense? When you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you, when you hang out, just hang out. So we're, we're finishing this book, and to celebrate, Josh and I are going to the opera in Fort Worth on Friday night with our wives. And we are so excited. <laughs> Mary edits these for me, and she, she won't get that. But she'll ask me about it now. Mary came up, wouldn't that be neat? It's her favorite opera, whatever it is. Uh, 
Uh, I think it's Yellow Submarine. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> so we're all going to go. And it'll be fun. Now, I'm not real big on opera, and Josh and I'll probably be checking the Rangers game on our phones, but uh, you know what? We'll be with. We'll be with. And see, it's good to be with. Just to hang out. And that's not my favorite. See, but Mary has a degree in music and is classically trained. And Josh's wife is classically trained, pianist. And they love that stuff. Good. We're going to be with. Last verse of the Old Testament, and I'm done. Last verse of the Old Testament is Malachi 4 6. God's silent for 400 years after this, until Matthew comes. If you turn your Bible to Matthew, the next page is Matthew, there's 400 years in between. Last thing God says is this, and he, when he comes, speaking of John the Baptist, and you can cross-reference Luke 117, it's in your marginal notes. He, when he comes, will restore, watch this, John the Baptist paved the way for Christ, and he also did this. He, when he comes, will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. You know what God wants? He wants fathers and sons and fathers and daughters to be connected. And here's what happens. Sometimes, as dads, we make big-time mistakes before we know the Lord, or we've hurt them, and we haven't been the men. And oftentimes, guys will say to me, man, I wish I had heard this 30 years ago. Well, sure you do, but you didn't. But you know it now. Well, I've got, you know, there's separation, there's division. Okay, so there is. You know what God's will would be? Is to heal that. There's broken relationships with adult kids. God wants to heal that. If you've got a 19-year-old, that's fighting you on every front, on everything, you know what? Those are hard times. Because you gotta set parameters and stick by them and it's not a lot of fun. But you gotta get them through it because you gotta turn that boy into a man. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope. We go through these stages of fathering. But you know what? We're always dads. When they become adults, it's different. They're not our little kids, and so we treat them as adults, and we respect them. But we want to be there for them. And if there is a breach in the wall, we do all we can do to repair it. And we ask the Lord to help us repair it and to heal that. Because, you see, that's our sphere. And that's part of my responsibility. And it's healthy. Is it not? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you because you're the only perfect father there is. The rest of us are deeply flawed. And you, you, you know that about us. But you have given us children. Some of them are little tykes running around. Some of them are the grandkids running around the house. Uh, uh, some are older, some the teenagers, some are adults with their own kids. Wherever we are, we're still their dads. Give us wisdom. Give us discernment to be there, to be available, to be a guide. 
to offer counsel when asked. Uh, for guys who are here and there are breaches, encourage them. For guys who are here and they have prodigals that are far, far away from you and living a life so far from how they were raised, that just tears a dad's guts out and a mom's. Thank you, Lord, that you have a way of bringing prodigals back. We can't control that. So we call on the Father who can control it. Do a great work. Watch over our kids. They're going to make mistakes just like we've made ours. Bring them into the fold and keep them and get them to heaven through the blood of Jesus where we can all be united. In Jesus' name we pray.